Several years ago, Adolf Coors IV gave his testimony to our businessman breakfast. And in his testimony, he told the story of how in 1975, he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, at that time, I divested myself from the interest in the family beer business, but I could not divest myself from a hatred that was slowly consuming me. His hatred was toward a man by the name of Joseph Corbett. For in February 9, 1960, Joseph Corbett kidnapped and held for ransom Adolf Coors III's father. And seven months later, Coors' father's body was found on a remote hillside who had been shot to death by his captor. Adolf Coors was 15 years of age at that time, and he said, Joseph Corbett did not only kill my father, he killed my best friend. And he said, I haven't only lost a father, but I also lost my best friend. And for a number of years after Coors' conversion to Christ, the hatred for Corbett just continued to consume him. He said, my resentment for this man seized within me and hindered my growing in grace. He prayed to God for help. Always be careful what you pray about. Adolf prayed to God for help, and one day the Spirit of God prompted him to go and visit Joseph Corbett in the maximum security unit of Colorado's Cannon City Penitentiary. He tried to talk to Corbett, but Corbett would not see him. Coors left the Bible there, inscribed with the following words. I am here to see you today, and I am sorry that I could not meet with you. As a Christian, I am summoned by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive. At the end, he says, I do forgive you. What Coors' confession was, that without the power of Jesus Christ, He could not have done that. And the reason why genuine mercy cannot be shown without the power of Jesus Christ is because mercy is not natural to us. We are not born merciful. We have an approximation of mercy simply because we are created in the image of God. But biblical mercy, true mercy, cannot be shown without the supernatural power and intervention of God's Holy Spirit. It is no more natural today to exercise mercy than it was at the time when Jesus pronounced those magnificent words on the Mount of Beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Because at that time, Rome despised mercy. At that time, the Pharisees were saying that you only show mercy to those who show mercy toward you. A popular Roman philosopher called mercy the disease of the soul. Mercy was seen as a sign of weakness. Mercy indicated that you don't have what it takes to be a man. Certainly, you don't have what it takes to be a Roman citizen man. Rome glorified firm discipline. They glorified absolute power, but they looked down upon mercy. Slaves were discarded like usable piece of furniture. 
women and children did not fare much better. If a woman gave a birth to a daughter or a sickly son, with one signal from the father, that boy either lives or drowned that very day. Rome and their men, they have treated women and children in the same way that people are treating the unborn today. Like Roman society, we despise mercy and glorify brutality. You see, whether we live in a period of time before Christ or after Christ, it doesn't make any difference. You say, what do you mean it doesn't make any difference? What makes a difference is whether Christ is the center or not. A society that removes Christ and his manifesto from the center of their life is no better than pagan Rome before Christ. Even a church that relies more on sentimentality and ignores the master's manifesto is no better than pre-Christian apostasy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you haven't turned in your Bible already to Matthew chapter 5, turn to it now. We saw first of all that you cannot come and be filled without declaring spiritual bankruptcy. Then we saw how those who declare spiritual bankruptcy of their own must mourn over their sin. They must have power under control. They must hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. And today we're going to see that they must exercise mercy. They must show mercy in order that the mercies of God may continue to flow through them. And Jesus is not saying that if you show mercy to people, people are going to show mercy back to you. That's not what he's saying. That might be okay and might be right, but I am not saying this is what Jesus is saying. You listen to anybody who's in a secular motivator would tell you, be nice to people because they'll be nice back to you. That is not what the text is saying here. But rather, when I show mercy to others, God's mercy will flow through me. And I'm going to talk about this a little later. The more I show mercy, the more God's mercy will flow through me. The less merciful I become, the further away I place myself from the mercies of God that is daily upon us. I come up with probably some of the weirdest illustrations that you can think of, but I know you'll remember them. You know, you forget the sermons, you remember the illustrations. And what I want to illustrate this morning is from the world of the chicken. Those who observe the behavior of chicken, can you imagine somebody just sitting there observing the behavior of chicken? But they do. Some do. And they say that inside the chicken coop, there is a rigid society that is based upon pecking order. (laughs) The top hen has the right to strut around and pick on any sister hen without fear of retaliation. In descending order of status, the rest of the chicken... They can do the same to those of lesser ranks. (laughs) Those who specialize in the behavioral science of chicken (laughs) have noted the following. They said a hen that is holding a lower position is often more cruel (laughs) with the unhappy creatures under her control than the queen of the hens. In other words, the higher you get, the more merciful you become. It illustrates my point. (laughs) The most merciful of all is the person who's closest to the Father of mercy. 
And the closer you get to the Father of mercy, the more merciful you are. What is mercy? Well, as I listen to people, I notice how they confuse mercy with grace. They confuse mercy with forgiveness. They confuse mercy with justice. They confuse mercy with love. And that is why I want to relate mercy to each one of those. And the way I'm going to define it is this. I want to tell you first of all that mercy is more than forgiveness. Secondly, mercy is less than love. Thirdly, mercy is different from grace. And fourthly, mercy is one with justice. Now, if that reminds you of a bad philosophy class, welcome to the club. But I'm going to explain it in a minute. (laughs) When somebody asked me, he said, what did you do when you got a doctorate of philosophy? I said, it's very simple. I spent four and a half years in a dark room looking for a black cat that is not there. (laughs) That's what philosophy does. But that's not what we're going to do today. Mercy is more than forgiveness. Turn your Bible to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. There the apostle Paul tells us this. Titus 3, 5. That Jesus saves us not by deeds and not by works, but according to his mercy. What did mercy prompt Jesus to do? Mercy prompted him to wash us and cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. God's forgiveness for our sins flows from his mercy. Mercy is bigger than forgiveness. How come? Listen carefully. God forgives us when we sin. But God is merciful all the time. Even when we don't sin. Just as you and I can be merciful to somebody who never wronged us and never sinned against us. Jesus is merciful toward us all the time. Forgiveness becomes operational only when wrong is done. When I sin against you and I come and ask you for forgiveness, you forgive me. But you could have mercy on me all the time. God forgives us our sins, but He's merciful all the time. Mercy is operational all the time. Why and how? Because mercy... Leads us to forgiveness. Mercy results in forgiveness. Mercy produces forgiveness. Mercy is exercised when hurt has occurred. Forgiveness is exercised when hurt has occurred, but mercy can be exercised all in all circumstances. God's mercy doesn't just forgive us our transgressions, but God's mercy reaches down to us and reaches down to our weaknesses. God's mercy reaches down to us and reaches to our needs. God's mercy reaches down to us for protection. God's mercy reaches down to us for guidance, for direction. So mercy is more than forgiveness. Mercy results in forgiveness. Secondly, mercy is less than love. You say, what do you mean by that? Forgiveness flows from mercy. Mercy flows from love. So if you're putting arrows, you put love, arrow, mercy, arrow, forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here's what Paul said. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he's rich in mercy because of his love. 
when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Just as mercy is more than forgiveness, so is love more than mercy. Love can manifest itself in many ways, but it may never involve mercy or forgiveness. Love loves even when there is no wrong committed. Love loves even when there is no need exhibited. Love loves all the time. The Bible said that the Father loves the Son. There is no need. There is no sin involved. But the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. The Bible said that the Father and the Son love the holy angels. The angels don't sin or have needs, but they are loved. When you and I get to heaven, soon I hope... (laughs) We will not have sin and we will not have needs, but the Father is going to love us just the same. Love, mercy, forgiveness. Love manifests itself in mercy. And mercy produces forgiveness. If mercy is the physician, love is the friend. If mercy is for need, love loves whether there is a need or not. If mercy is for times of trouble and times of need, love is for all the times. Please hear me right. You can show mercy without loving, but you cannot love without showing mercy. I want to repeat that. You can show mercy without loving, but you cannot love without showing mercy. You can come to me and say, Michael, I really love you. I love you very much, but I can't stand with you in times of trouble. You say, Michael, I really love you, but in your times of needs, I can't do anything about that. I'm going to leave you alone. That would be a love that is not worthy of the word. Because true love manifests itself in mercy. And sometimes those moments of mercy needs are defined not by the one who's giving the mercy, but the person who's receiving the mercy. I want to explain that to you. It's much easier for all of us when we see somebody really desperate, we go and help. Who defines that need for mercy? I'm going to ask my wife to forgive me later on. Somehow I find myself that I am in need to show mercy to my wife. Not when she was desperate. But when she's trying to talk to me during the news. When I was watching the news. (laughs) Now I said, can that wait? Well, it's a need for her. At that time, she's the one who's defining that need for mercy. Not me. I love to define the need for mercy. (laughs) And I can rationalize it. Well, it's not really a big need. I can take care of it later on. But that's not the proper definition. The mercy is defined by the person who's in need of that mercy for that time, for that moment. The indication that I love somebody is that I show mercy to that individual in times of needs. Love is always constant, but mercy is changeable. Love is unconditional, but mercy is conditional by need. Our love for one another as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must always be constant, must always be unchanging. But our love is manifesting itself in the times when the mercies are needed, when the need arises. Mercy is more than forgiveness. Mercy is less than love. And thirdly, mercy is different from grace. Listen carefully. This is important. In the final analysis, all of our problems 
All of our problems, all of your problems and all of my problems emanate from sin. All of them. If you have a problem, analyze it, go a little beyond it and find that sin is there. Marital problems emanate from selfishness and pride. Disunity and discord arise from jealousy and envy. Even sickness and disease have come into the world as a result of Adam's sin in the garden. In all of our problems, mercy comes in, gives us relief. But grace deals with the root of the problem. In all of our problems, mercy comes in and deals with the symptoms. But grace deals with the cause. Mercy offers relief from punishment. But grace gives pardon. Mercy relieves our pain. Grace cures the disease. One thing about the Good Samaritan. When he bandaged the wounds of this man who was beaten by robbers. When he took the time to take care of him. That was mercy. The moment he put him on his donkey. And then took him to the nearest hotel. And paid the expenses for this man's recovery. That was grace. His mercy relieved the pain. But grace provided the healing. In our salvation, when we repent and turn to the Lord, mercy says, now you're not going to hell. Grace comes in and says, yes, but you're going to heaven. Mercy says, oh, I feel sorry for you. I wish there's something I can do for you. Grace says, I pardon you. Mercy says, I will overlook your mistake. I will overlook your wrongs. But grace says, I will remember them no more. So mercy is more than forgiveness. Mercy is less than love. And mercy is different from grace. Fourthly, mercy is one with justice. Please listen carefully. This is an important issue for our society today. There are many people who would want us to believe that mercy and justice don't go together. There are many people who are trying to make us believe that mercy and justice are opposed to each other. There are whole denominations that have opted for denying one of the most important characteristics of our God, namely justice. Why? Because they see no place for justice in their understanding of mercy. Not the biblical understanding of mercy. Here's what they say. They say, God can be both merciful and just at the same time. They say, if God is completely just, how could he punish sin? They say, if God is merciful, he must never punish sin. But the scripture is clear. That mercy that ignores sin is a false mercy. That mercy that winks at sin is neither mercy nor justice. Mercy that refuses to deal with sin is sentimentality and not mercy. It is this false mercy that David showed toward his rebellious son Absalom. It was this false mercy that stopped David from disciplining his rebellious son and dealing with his sin and which only served to confirm him in his wickedness. 
It is this false mercy that stops thousands of parents across the land from disciplining their children. And they end up living in sin and wickedness. It is this false mercy that says to our society that we should not hold people responsible for their sin, that we should not hold people responsible for their wickedness, instead offer them a cheap pardon without justice and without remorse. No wonder we are in the mess that we're in. To ignore justice is to desecrate mercy. To ignore justice is to create anarchy. To ignore justice is to cheapen grace. To ignore justice is to deny the truth. And Psalm 85 verse 10 says that truth and mercy have met together. Hear me right, please. There can be no mercy without a price. Somebody has to pay the price. If one of my children wreck a car, as some of them have in the past, I pray to God they won't do it again. (laughs) And they come home. And I said, Daddy, I'm really sorry. Well, if I'm not inclined to forgive them, they'll remind me that I preached a sermon on mercy. (laughs) It's one thing about preachers' kids. They know how to argue theology. (laughs) Remind you of your own words. (laughs) I will have mercy. And out of that mercy, I'll forgive them. But I've got to pay the price. (laughs) I've got to pay the bill. Not only that I pay the deductibles, but I also pay the increase of the premium for the rest of the family. Mercy is not cheap. I struggled with mercy. I really do. When I surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, I was such an intellectual snob that I would cut people down. And when they come up with a stupid idea, I immediately tell them how stupid their idea was, and I tell them why. Now, the ideas might be still stupid, but it wasn't the way I'm exercising mercy. And God had to teach me a few things. Thank God, 10 years ago, I became more merciful than I was 20 years ago. And thank God that today I'm more merciful today than I was 10 years ago. And I pray as I walk with the Lord that I'll become more merciful in 10 years from now than I am now. In any act of mercy, somebody pays the price. It could be money, it could be time, it could be sheer inconvenience. Whatever it is, this priest walks in, sees somebody in need, he was going to walk to the service, he's going to run the church service. He looks at them and says, well, I'd really like to help him, but I've got to go. He couldn't inconvenience himself. The Levites does the same thing. Well, this wealthy businessman, he comes in, though he's a Samaritan, he didn't stop and he said, I wonder whether he's a Samaritan or a Jew. And you know, in fact, it was clearly that he was a Jew. And I want to give you just an impression of what that is like. This would be like somebody from the Hamas, the Palestinian revolutionary group, taking care of someone from the Jewish Defense League. I'm going to paint it to you so you can see it. You can understand it. A Ku Klux Klan is taking care of a black revolutionary. That's what it is. It was so unusual. And Jesus was deliberately trying to hammer the point in the mind of this lawyer who came to argue with him in a little philosophical, legal way. And Jesus deliberately tells him that story in order to get his attention. Mercy is not cheap. Somebody has to pay. 
Jesus is saying that if you want to be merciful, and if you want to receive mercy, then you better be merciful. And if you are merciful, it is not going to be easy. It's going to cost you. And I want to tell you there is no greater act of mercy than you tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And we need that more desperately today than any other day, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we have people running around thinking that they can receive God's mercy and that they're going to end up in heaven without repentance. They're going to be in for a shock. The church is preaching cheap grace. Churches that are preaching salvation without repentance are offering people false hope through false gospel. And they are preaching false mercy. If anyone is depending on their good deeds to make it to heaven, don't count on it. If anyone is depending on their goodness to make it to heaven, don't count on it. If anyone is presuming on God's mercy that somehow he's going to let them in in the last day, think again. That is not biblical. If anyone thinks that they can come to God on their own terms, not on God's own terms, forget it. It will not happen. For God's mercy is not based only upon his love, but it's also based on his justice. And that is why if we ever exercise, need to exercise mercy of telling about Jesus and the grace of God that's available to us through him, we need to do it today. God's mercy is not grounded upon sentimentality, but it is grounded upon his blood that was poured out on the cross as a payment for your sin and the penalty of my sin and the sin of all those who repent. The good news of the gospel is that the price of our sin, the penalty of our sin, is paid in full and only effective for those who repent. For on the cross, God's justice was satisfied. And when you and I trust in that act of God on the cross, that He has done that on our behalf, we will receive mercy. Don't believe those who tell you that the good news of the gospel is that God winked at sin or that God glossed over justice or that God compromised righteousness or that everybody's going to make it. I want to tell you, and that's heartbreaking, that those people who are preaching false gospel and false grace and cheap grace, it's like somebody digging a well covering it with straw, and then leading the other person into it. And they're both going in together. That's why I believe in my heart, and I don't say that in joy, but I say it in sorrow. I believe that God has special judgment for false teachers and false preachers. Mercy is more than forgiveness. Mercy is less than love. Mercy is different from grace, and mercy is one with justice. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That doesn't mean that I'm going to earn mercy from the hand of God because I'm going to show mercy. No, that is contrary to Scripture. Such an idea doesn't even make sense in the Bible, not even in the Old Testament. What Jesus was saying was this, that when you exercise mercy, when you show mercy toward others... You're going to have your heart in such a condition. 
You're going to have your heart in such a place to be open, to receive mercy from the hand of God. Day after day and day after day, He's going to keep pouring His mercy into you. And as I said earlier, the more I draw closer to my Lord, the more mercy I receive and the more mercy I show. The more mercy I receive and the more mercy I receive, the more mercy I show. In other words, God wants us to be channels of mercy. He wants us to be conduit for mercy. And if mercy is blocked and the channel is blocked, God is not going to keep pouring in because he can't. When you and I show mercy, we experience liberation. When you and I show mercy, we experience being set free. When you and I show mercy, we are not Dragged down by grudges that sap our energy and that steal our joy. When we exercise mercy, you have become unshackled from the emotional chain that is paralyzing you. When you begin to show mercy, you break that spiritual bondage that's stopping you from growing in grace. That you break that spiritual bondage that's stopping you from growing in mercy. And when you exercise mercy, you are liberated from the darkness and the bitterness that is hindering you from growing and being spiritually fruitful in the kingdom of God. You know that critical tongue that aims, points, and shoots? Do you know that critical spirit that is enslaving you and is clogging the flow of God's mercy into your life? God the physician, God the merciful, wants to operate on us today to remove the blockage in order that his mercy may flow through us again. As we've been seeing through this whole series, this manifesto that the Master has given us, he intends for every one of those steps to be a step for our growth in character, to be like his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, the secrets of all of our hearts are known to you. None of it can be hidden from you. Father, we thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is of his love, it is of your love that we become under conviction in order to deal with that which is blocking your mercy flowing through us. Wash us afresh. Cleanse us by the blood of the Lamb. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.